morning, Christ Community Church. I'm David Jacobson, and I'm going to be reading scripture this morning. It comes from Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10, and that is page 863. That's 863 in the Pew Bibles. And so if you'll stand for the reading of the Word of God. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now, a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Please be seated and take a moment to reflect on God's word. By God's providence, we had a uh, Sunday morning worship service brought to you by the UK. Uh, so Jason from Scotland and David from England, well done, boys, well done. Uh, last week, we uh, got the chance to hear from Robert Campbell, and I hope you were here to be blessed by his message. And I thought, you know, hearing from Rob Campbell is like trying to drink out of a fire hydrant. Uh, Today, it's going to be a water fountain. Very simple to follow, very easy to understand, very little yelling at you directly. Um, But I want to begin the sermon by asking you to take a little tour of the Bible with me. And so if you want to follow along, that's fine. If you just want to sit and listen and just try to absorb, that's fine as well. 
But one way I like to think about the Bible, and some of you have heard me say this before, is thinking about like one piece of music. And like any symphony, there are reoccurring chords. And when you hear them, you go, I've heard that before somewhere. And I wonder if it's going to show up again in the story. In any good piece of music, there's some underlying themes that are carrying it along. And it's the same way with the Bible. There are several chords that get played over and over again in the Bible. And I want to focus in on one of those chords today. And that is, whose word will you trust? This is a chord that gets played over and over, as we'll see. And it's the question I'm just asking you to consider today. Whose word do you trust? We're all here trusting some word. It would just be helpful for you to identify whose word do you trust? Whose word do I really trust? The tour begins in Genesis chapter 3, a familiar story. The serpent asked this crucial question to Eve. Did God really say, you hear that chord? Mm, Did God really say, I mean, can you really trust his word? This is where the serpent inserts suspicion about the trustworthiness of God's word. And then he narrates a different story. Hey, there's a different word you can follow. I mean, if you follow God's word, you're missing out. But if you follow my word, then you get to become like God. And you hear that? That's two different words you get to choose from. You can follow after God's word who's promising life. Or you can follow up another word that's promising a different kind of life. And that's the, that's the fork in the road that all of us face every morning when we wake up is whose word, which path am I going to walk down? In the beginning, Genesis 1 and Genesis 3, the downfall of humanity starts by not trusting in God's word. Adam and Eve reach out to grab life and they grab death instead. They, they reach out following somebody else's word, and it turns out to be a disaster. Genesis chapter 25, really one of my favorite little passages in the Bible, because it tells you so much about uh, Jacob and his story. He was the main character in Genesis. You remember Isaac and Rebekah. So Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac got married to a girl named Rebekah, and she gets pregnant, and she has twins. You remember this? And she feels them wrestling inside of her womb. And in this wrestling, God delivers a message to Rebekah, and it says this, Genesis chapter 25, verse 23. Two nations, Rebekah, are in your womb. Two people are within you and they shall be divided and one shall be stronger than the other and the older Esau will serve the younger Jacob so before she delivers the baby she's given a word from the Lord it's a it's a promise it's a guarantee there are two nations wrestling inside and trust me Rebecca I'm going to make something happen it's not the way you would think about it. In those times, the older always it was at the head, and he's saying, no, in this case, the younger is going to be the leader over the older. Two nations. If you turn 
just two chapters over to chapter 27. We find Rebecca and Jacob now a grown man. They're both scheming to grab this blessing through deception. She knows the promise. She heard it. Seems likely that she had told Jacob, but we don't know. But we know she knows it. And instead of allowing God to deliver what he promised, she tried to grab it for herself. Through deceit, through this scheme. And we see it in chapter 27. Isaac, the the father, is about ready to die. He's going to deliver this blessing to his two sons, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob and his mother, Rebekah, are afraid that Esau is going to get the blessing. So they trick their father who can't see. And they hatch this deceptive plan. Verse 11. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth-skinned man. If I go in and try to grab this blessing, perhaps my father will, he'll feel my arm, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. Do you you feel this nervousness? There's a word that's being delivered, and I'm being deceptive here. And listen carefully to what Rebecca, who knows the promise, this is what she says. Rebecca says to Jacob, let your curse fall on me, my son. Mm. Obey my voice. This, This is a, this is... that's how you're supposed to hear it when you hear that when you hear a whisper coming even from your mother obey my voice they both try to reach out it's a disaster this is the last time jacob ever sees his mother alive this is the last time you ever hear from rebecca in the bible maybe did the curse did fall on her Jacob has to run out of the promised land. In order to reenter, God makes him limp the rest of his life. Whose word? Whose voice? Psalm 1, we know this psalm. Very first song in the Hebrew hymnal. It's the one that would have been sung probably the most frequently. And what does it say right at the beginning? Hey, there's two paths. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of the wicked. I, I know it. You're going to sing about it, and I just want you to know, you know there's a way of the wicked. There's a way of the world. There's a voice that's calling out to you. Don't go in that direction. Instead, instead, delight in the law or the word of the Lord. Meditate on it day and night. Here's the very first song in the Old Testament saying, hey, this chord is playing over and over again. Whose word, whose way, which world are you going to follow? I was listening to a podcast earlier in the week about leadership, and this guy said something that just sort of caught my attention. He said, most people operate by little phrases stuck in their mind. So he's saying in a a leadership role, you can't give somebody a paragraph to remember. You have to give them something small to remember because they just sort of operate this way. And I kept thinking about it, and he used some. And I thought, how often that is? Uh, You just have something in your mind like honesty is the best policy. 
You have these little phrases that you just sort of bring up every now and again. Better late than never. No pain. No gain, right? I mean, everybody who's been in a weight room knows that. Actions speak louder than words. So you have these things, and just life happens, and then you just sort of pull up this little idiom and say, well, this is what's true. Time heals, right? I mean, you just sort of bring it out and say, well, that's, that's the truth. That's the word. And that's how we all operate, and God knows it, and he says, this is what I want you to memorize, these are the little phrases I want you to have in your brain so when difficulty comes around, you know what to do. You're following after my way. You're not going the way of the wicked. You're not obeying some other voice. You're, you know, and you have digested the, the word of the Lord. Second Chronicles 16.9 captures the theme this way, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole earth. What a great vivid imagery. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole earth to strengthen every man's heart, every woman's heart who's completely devoted to, his, to himself, to, word, to his word. He's, he's looking all over the Old Testament time. I'm just ranging through the whole world just looking for any man, any woman who would just follow my word. This familiar chord plays throughout the Old Testament and you know it plays in the New Testament. Let's just look at Luke since that's where we're going to end up in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 1, well-known story of Gabriel visiting Mary. Imagine she's 15, sophomore in high school. She's pledged to be married. And an angel comes and visits her and says, you're going to carry the son of the Most High. They have this little dialogue, and it ends by Mary's words. You remember what she says? Let it be to me according to your word. I mean, here it is. Here, here we are at the very beginning of the New Testament, and it's the same, it's the exact same thing. This theme comes in high and low tones. It's all the way through the Bible. Jesus comes in Luke chapter 5 to pick out his first disciple. Remember this, Peter? He's teaching. He gets Peter to get in a boat and row him out a little farther. Remember that? Because he has this logistics problem. People keep crowding in. And he delivers this message. And Peter, meanwhile, is cleaning all his nets because he hadn't caught anything all night. That's the time to catch fish. And when Jesus finishes his sermon, he says, Hey, Peter, let me give you some fishing advice. <clears throat> Let's let our nets out in full day. What does Peter say? We've been fishing all night. Now, I don't know if that's his tone, but it feels like that. You've been sleeping all night. We've been fishing all night. But at your word, I'll do you what you say. Peter, you can be my first disciple. You see, that's what I'm looking for. The eyes of the Lord are ranging throughout the whole earth, just looking for anyone who would just do this one thing, just live according to my word. It won't make sense sometimes like Peter, right? 
the Lord's going to ask you to do something from his word and you're just going to say, I wouldn't choose to do this. This doesn't feel right. This isn't the direction I would want to go. And you just have to say, but according to your word, I'm going to live this way. I'm going to operate this way. Luke chapter 6, Jesus gets to the end of this very long teaching session, section, which we've finished up with now. And he ends his sermon with this illustration, chapter 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? You hear that? This scored. I've given you all this information how to live your life, what the, what the character of a disciple looks like. But yet, even though I've given it to you plainly, you hear it, but you don't do it. And if you don't do it, you're going to look like a house that built its foundation on the sand. And when the storms came, it's going to be a disaster. Oh, you may gain the whole world, but in the end, you may forfeit your soul. Just, just build your house on the rock so when storms come, you'll know you're living according to my word. You're moving in the right direction, albeit slowly, maybe feeling inadequate in some way. But let that cord play through your life. God's still looking for people who will trust in his word. And Jesus finds one in Luke chapter 7. And when he finds this guy, he marvels. There's only two places this word marvel is used in the New Testament coming from Jesus. One, he marvels at unbelief. In one case, in, in Mark, I think it's chapter 6, and here he marvels at belief. Most of us here want to be the second one, do we not? I mean, how would it make you feel if Jesus was marveling at your faith. Wow! I found somebody in Wilmington, North Carolina who really listened to my word and guess what, everybody? He or she, they did it. I mean, I'm stunned. That's what he's saying here to the centurion. He finds this man. Jesus has finished his teaching. He's returned to his adult hometown, Capernaum. And in the previous visit, he had healed some people. So this is a small fishing village. This is Peter's hometown. This is James and John's hometown. There are a few hundred people maybe around. And so when Jesus comes back in, hey, word, word, capture, word captures the attention of the town. It captures the attention of a Roman centurion. This soldier who's part of the Roman Empire who occupies Israel He's stationed with probably a hundred men, that's what centurion means, in and around Capernaum. So if there's any unrest, he gets just word from Roman headquarters, hey, let's put that unrest down. So he gathers his hundred men and he makes sure that there's peace in this geographic area of Israel. And he knows something about Jesus and we learn something about the centurion in verse 5. We know he loved the nation of Israel and he played a significant role in building basically their church building, the synagogue. Some scholars think he was what's called a God-fearer, somebody who believed in the God of Israel, but he was a Gentile. Either way, he was well-liked by the Jewish people in Capernaum. And the centurion says, hey, I hear Jesus is back in town. I've got a problem. My beloved, valuable servant is dying. And I just wonder if Jesus could do anything. 
So he asked the Jewish elders, can you go on my behalf and just ask Jesus if he'd be willing to to help, to intervene? We know by reading to the end of the story that Jesus does help. He heals the servant. But, you know, that's not the main thrust of the story. I mean, this man is dying and Jesus heals him and that's fine. But the main thrust of the story is this man's faith, the centurion. Look at verse 9 with me. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at the centurion. And he turns to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel, in all this religious country that I'm in, I haven't found such faith as this one Roman soldier. So I'm asking the question here, what does it take to have Jesus marvel at your faith? And I just want to pick up two characteristics of the centurion. There's probably more, but I think there's two that we see clearly here. And then challenge myself, challenge you. Are these characteristics of your faith? One, humility. And two, it's a Greek word, hupo, H-U-P-O. Humility and hupo. Humility, verses 4 and 5. And when they came to Jesus, these are the Jewish elders on behalf of the centurion soldier, they pleaded with Jesus earnestly, saying, This man, this centurion, he's worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he's the one who built our synagogue. So it's very important to see what's going on here in these two verses. Notice the elders let you in on how they believe God operates. You've got to notice that. In their little statement, they let you in on how they believe God operates. They, they telegraph what they have faith in. The Jewish elders believe Jesus should help this man. Why? He's done so many good things. You might say this man was a godly man. So their belief about God is God responds positively to those who've done good things. That's religion. That might be how some of us are operating here. God helps those who... Yeah, you know, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> but we have these little phrases, do we not? If, if I sort of do enough good... If I get enough marks in the right column, I mean, I wouldn't ever say it, but kind of God owes me, right? So this is the way these, these elders, they come, they think, hey, Jesus is going to be convinced to help this guy because of the guy's good works. Now, I want to ask you this question, where does the weight of their faith rest? They have faith. And where does it rest? All of the weight of their faith rests on what? On the good works of the centurion. The weight of their faith rests on themselves. This is, a this is a bad paradigm. In case you don't know your heart, this isn't good to have the weight of your faith resting on your good works. So here they're, they're telegraphing, this is how we think God operates. Now contrast the centurion, verse 6, and Jesus went with them. Okay, let's go find this guy. 
And when he was not far from the house, apparently word got back to the centurion. So he sent some more friends saying to Jesus, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. I mean, verse 7, I didn't even presume to come to you myself. I was just hoping you could do something. But I mean, I don't, you, don't, you, don't, you, you shouldn't come underneath my house. What does he say? I'm not worthy. You see, this is the difference between the centurion and the Jewish people. This man understands something they don't understand about himself. I'm not worthy. In the Greek, this means fit. The elders think he's fit. He thinks I'm not fit. What do you think about yourself? Are you fit? Got enough marks? You're godly? Or are you unfit? Humility, one key characteristic that catches Jesus' attention. Hupo. Hupo for Greek scholars means under, under. See that in verse 8? I am under. I am hupo authority. It's fun to say. Hupo authority. I'm under authority. And I love this part about this passage. The centurion gives Jesus an illustration. (laughs) I love that. The master illustrator. Hey, Jesus, uh, let me give you an illustration. I I mean, imagine that. So he gives him an illustration. He says, look, I'm a man hupo authority. I'm a man under authority. If I say the word go, guess what happens? people go if i say the word come people come if i say the word do this guess what happens well that gets done i understand the authority structure i'm i'm completely hoopo i'm completely under authority in other words i'm not in charge i'm not the king In my small group, I meet with a bunch of 20-something-year-old guys uh, every other week. And it's really a joy to be with them. And uh, maybe three or four weeks ago, we were talking about Proverbs and the beginning of wisdom. What is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the, fear of the Lord, of the fear of God. It's a little phrase you need to have in your head. And I was just asking, well, what does this mean, the beginning the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so I asked David, our scripture reader, he said this, it's an understanding of the right order of things. And, and we all sort of resonated with that. It's, it's an understanding that there's a right order. And when you are in the fear of God, you know what order you're in. You understand that he's the king and, and I'm not the king. And only someone from England, like David, went on to get an illustration. And here was his illustration. It never occurs to me to walk into Buckingham Palace and sit on the throne. I would never even have this illustration in my mind. (laughs) So he's lost most of us in this group. It's early in the morning. And he says this, because I'm never going to be king. 
there's no chance David Jacobson is ever going to be the king. So it never occurs to him to sit on the throne. For this centurion soldier, there's no chance he's ever going to be king. So he's not going to take that position. And I'm wondering for you. See, in America, what do we think? Everybody can be king. I mean, if the last two people in the Oval Office could get in the Oval Office, whichever side you're on, then I could get in the Oval Office, right? That's what we think. That just isn't the natural occurrence. I could be king. Do you, I just want to say that to, to help you identify. Is that coursing through your veins? Is that the word that comes to mind when you wake up in the morning? Do you say, Lord, may it be according to me as your word, or do you say, I'm the king? See, it never occurs to this man, he's hoopo. He's under authority. He knows he's never going to be king. He doesn't want to be the king. He wants Jesus to be the king. And this catches Jesus' attention. And here's the part that really makes Jesus marvel, I believe. As I said earlier, the Jewish elders come to Jesus and they plead for this man based on his character. And they say, Jesus, he's worthy, so do what he asks. The weight of their faith is on the person's good work. But the centurion, he says, I'm not worthy, so don't do what I ask. Don't bother yourself with an unworthy Roman soldier like me and my dying servant. Is that what he says? What's the answer to that? No, no, he doesn't say that. I am unworthy, but would you do what I ask? See what's unique about this? I know I'm not worthy. I don't have any basis for you to operate kindly towards me based on me. I'm asking you to do something based on you. Do you see the shift in weight? This is so big. This is so big in your prayer life. God, I'm, I'm pleading. I'm asking. I'm not asking because I had a good week. I'm not asking because I'm worthy. I'm asking because you're worthy and you're the king. And I'm going to trust your word. The weight of this man's faith is completely on Jesus. And when Jesus sees it, he marvels. Oh, I've seen so many people with one foot on and one foot off. So if Jesus doesn't come through, well, then I've got the backup plan. And this man says, I'm stepping out on a ledge. And if it gives way, it gives way. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and takes away. But I completely trust in him and his word. And when Jesus sees it, he marvels. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole earth, even today. Wanting, wanting to strengthen the heart of any man or woman whose heart is completely devoted to his word. What word do you live by? 
your word. You're the king. Maybe you're in here saying, I mean, pastor, you're a pretty good speaker and all, but I mean, who knows? I mean, all religions say about the same thing. And I mean, who, how do you know what's the truth? That's your faith. That's your word. I just want you to hear yourself. That's what you've put all of your weight on. Your wisdom. That everything's just the same. Are you ready for you to hold eternity underneath that weight? Or have you taken two steps off of all the other things that you hoped were going to hold you up and say, Jesus, I'm living completely according to your word. And let him Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. You've designed it to come into our minds and our lives and our ears and our hearing today, February 27th, 2022. For purposes that we could guess and some in every heart that we don't, I wouldn't know. You do. Would you help everybody adjust the weight of their faith to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.